I had Mitch Larkin uh, in 50 meter backstroke, I think it was, or 100 meter backstroke, go to world record. And wow, that was super exciting. Welcome to Swim.Rocks, the show that shares information, ideas and inspiration between swimming people who stay dry. I'm your host, Ben Ramston, and today we're talking to Peter Shell about the rules of swimming and officiating. During our conversation, Peter gives us an overview of the rules and the roles of the various officials around the pool. We also discuss why and how to get into officiating. Peter is a level two referee and starter, which means that he can start and referee at state level meets. He also officiates at national meets. He's the area technical swimming committee member for uh, the local area, which means he's responsible for organizing officials and training and rostering for events. And he's an assessor and mentor. I started by asking Peter, what was the moment when he became committed to swimming? Well, it's very interesting. I guess you've got to go back and have a look at why why I even started in it. Um, and I would guess as in about 98% of officials, we all get started because our kids started swimming competitively. And uh, along with other officials that I know, we um, wanted to do something other than sit up in the grandstands watching uh, uh, the kids swimming up and down the the uh, pool um, so we wanted to get involved so you basically start off timekeeping and um, that was really how I sort of got into it initially I think that the moment um, that I that really came to play when I really started to take it a lot more seriously was I got my first credential which was timekeeper um, and chief timekeeper, I got those at the same time. And then um, I was at club and I thought, gee, that starting position looks a lot more interesting than uh, pressing a button on a stopwatch. <laughs> I thought thought I'd give that a go. And uh, basically the, the starter from one year to the, or the second year that I was there had, had left and gone elsewhere. So I said, oh, I'd take that on. And uh, then we wanted to do a qualifying meet, and I and I realised that I had to be qualified as a starter. And so that really, it was from that point when I got my qualification as a starter, which was my second qualification, that um, I thought, yeah, this sounds like something that would be interesting to do, and I could do this, um, you know, later in life. Um, and I and I enjoyed it. I met lots of people, and it just grew from there. And I, after a couple of years, I went along to state meets, and uh, met a whole bundle of new people uh, at state meets. And thought, wow, this is pretty interesting. This is all all good fun. And then a couple of those people said you should do national meets. So I started doing national meets and it's just grown from there and you know i can honestly say that i never envisaged that i would become a level two starter or a level two referee uh that's where i'm at at the moment and i'm still exploring um those uh, qualifications to go higher so there you go it's over 10 years ago probably 11 or 12 years ago that i first started 
um, you know, officiating, I guess, or timekeeping at club nights because that was where you tend to start. And then it was when um, daughter decided that you know, she did a probably six months or so at club and then wanted to go to her first inter-club meet, uh, which was actually at Lane Cove Pool, I can remember distinctly. Um, and they put a call out for timekeepers. So I said, oh, yeah, I'll go down and timekeep. <laughs> um so that was the, the thing. So that was about, yeah, 11 or 12 years ago, something like that. Very good. Now, today I wanted to talk to you about the rules of swimming and officiating. And um, as we've just discussed, I think you'll be a really good person to talk to about this. Now, for many sports, I guess uh, us spectators tend to learn about the rules, some sort of watching or maybe commentary or something like that. Um, for swim meets, I, frankly, I remember it being a bit confusing to try and work out what the rules were because, I mean, some of it you just think, you know, bleeding obvious. <laughs> you have to start at the start yep. and finish at the finish and touch all the ends. But particularly at meets where they when they read out some of the infraction reports, you just listen to it and think, what on earth <laughs> are they going on about? Um, this is a bit of a tough question, but are you able to sort of explain briefly the sort of an overview of the rules of swimming, or at least, you know, without going into huge detail, what are the rules of swimming all about? Uh, okay. I think probably the best way to break the rules of swimming down, and there's, you're right, there are quite a few different ones, but it, in actual fact, it's it's a lot simpler than what you think. Oh, thank you. Um, without getting into some of the esoterics, but basically, you could break the the rules down into the rules for the race. So that's things like you know you must start with with a dive, um, and you must touch you know the wall at both ends, and allowed to walk on the bottom of the pool. Those sort of rules. Um, then there is the rules for each stroke. So each stroke has a set of rules associated with it. Now, depending on the stroke, depends on how complicated the, the, the rules are. So freestyle, as you can probably imagine, is, is there aren't very many rules that, that govern uh, the rules because freestyle, by its very nature, says you can pretty much do anything you like. So it is possible that you can swim butterfly in a freestyle race. Uh, it's treated as a freestyle race, even if they're swimming butterfly, but um, that is eminently possible. And you can even swim breaststroke if you if you want, um, if that's the, the, what you want. And I guess the the compl most complicated stroke is breaststroke, and that's probably not a great deal of shock to most people because there's lots of um, Different movements of the of the arms and the uh, the legs um, and just the way the, the the stroke occurs. So it's it is the most complicated stroke to teach. It's the most complicated stroke to enforce, uh, and there are also very many variants. So you can still do things differently, but within the rules. Um, but that's the way that I'd break it down. Don't don't look at it. Um, and think, wow, these are all really complicated. You've got to break it down by stroke or by the race. And then I guess there's also the, the, the medley and, and relay, and there are certain rules associated uh, with, with that. But that's the way that I look at it. 
Okay, so as a swimmer, um, and you're perhaps not the right person to answer this, but I guess I'll, I'll answer. It. I'll ask it anyway. Um, are you taught the rules of swimming, or are you taught to swim in a certain way that just happens to comply with the rules? Do you have any view about that? Um, that's a very good question, and you're asking the wrong person because I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm not a swimmer. I am, in fact. I think that's one, and it's one of the funny things when you talk to a lot of the officials that some of them are actually very good swimmers, but some of us are probably pretty below average swimmers. Um, I would think that that question is really something that depends on who the swimmer is, whether there's a coach. I know that the coaches tend to try and teach according to the rules, but then again, not all coaches know the rules either. So... Um, it's quite often as a referee, you come up, have a coach come up to you and say, could you tell me why my swimmer was uh, disqualified? And you'll say, um, whatever the, the infraction happened to be. And they go, oh, but that's not what the rule says. And then you go to the rule book and say, here's the rule book and here's exactly what the rule says. And they go, oh, I didn't know that. So, yes, the coaches are supposed to know the rules. Um, I'm guessing not all of them do. Most of them do, I think, to, to be fair. And I think if you have a coach, you have a much better chance of of knowing or, or being able to swim according to the rules if you've been taught by a coach. But if you're not having a not don't have a coach, then your chances of swimming correctly um, uh, are much higher. And we see a lot of that, for example, at school level swimming, where um, the, the kids are really out there to do participation and the strokes that they're performing, particularly things like breaststroke, uh, just uh, they're just pure disqualified. They're not swimming according to what the rules say. Yeah, that on that point, are the rules applied equally at all levels of the sport? Um, <laughs> that's a very interesting question. So there is certainly rule... Um, considerations given for younger swimmers and at particular meets and, and and i think it's probably fair to say that some meets more rule consideration is given than at other meets so the higher level meet that you go the um definitely the the more uh stricter the rules are enforced so and pretty much that if you go to a st any state level meet you can expect or should expect that the rules are enforced according to what the, the rules are. Um, if you're at a school level meet, um, you can probably expect a lot more leniency. Okay. And and also particularly things like club night. Uh, club night's there for the swimmers to learn the basics about how to swim competitively. So uh, depending on what clubs you're at, club you're at, it depends on you know on how lenient that they are. Uh, I know that at my particular club. Uh, when I'm officiating there, I tend to provide feedback to the swimmers. So we give them guidance that these are the things you're doing right, and these are th or these are things that they're doing wrong and that you need to work on. Go and talk to your coaches about them. And that's what the coaches like. They like that to have that feedback given to their swimmers. Um, uh, that, that's someone there, somebody else other than the coach telling the swimmer what they're doing right or wrong. And there, and there are good guidelines about when you should apply consider, rule considerations. And as I said, the, the, you know, the New South Wales rules are fairly explicit about that. 
Um, there's a uh, all of the referees are are aware of that, and typically before the running of a meet, if it's even if it's an area meet, we um, as a referee, you would provide that guidance um, to say, okay, some rule considerations are being applied to say the ten and unders. Um, Very good, thank you. So perhaps we could move on and talk about technical officials. Um, I know in club night there can be very few. You know, there'll probably be a referee and a starter, and maybe somebody doing the marshalling and check starting all in one go. Whereas if you rock up at a state or national meet, you're likely to have technical officials all over the place, you know, potentially one at the end of every lane inspecting every turn. Can you um, outline some of the different roles and sort of explain why you get a different number of officials at different sorts of meets? Uh, well, I said the, first, the, the, the last bit first because that's probably the easiest. Why is there a difference between the number of officials? Uh, purely because it depends on the number of volunteers that you get. It would be ideal to have a full deck of officials for every meet we officiated, but um, it just dictates that there isn't that many officials out there to be able to do that. So what we have to do is to provide as many officials as we can, given the number of volunteers that we have. So if we talk about the roles of officials, the, the most important official uh, is the referee. The referee has control of all the other officials. They're the only person that is able to disqualify a swimmer. Um, and they basically control the, the running of the meet. Now, you'll find that depending on the, the meet that you're at, you'll either have one or two referees so typically the ideal is to have a referee for the men's and a referee for the women's um but sometimes if it's a small meet so at a club night for example you're not going to have two referees you would just typically have the the, the one because that's all you've probably got at, at your club um so so we have the referee very the, the important role they have to completely understand the rules um, apply the rules uh, in, in a correct manner and in a consistent manner um, and guide other the other officials in what they need to do uh, and work with everybody uh, around the pool deck. The uh, next probably most important official is the starter. And again, you'll see quite often that there are more than one starter. Uh, and again, it's, it's purely to help break up the the load for those two roles because they are the most important roles and as can uh, i can i just cut in there and just check in what is so important about the starter i mean surely can't you just say ready steady press the button beep off you go i mean why is it so difficult because the and the, the starter has control of the race once the referee has handed over to the starter and uh, if they they have to wait until all the swimmers are completely still before they can actually start the race, and and there's a lot of pressure that uh, on the starter that if they press the button too early, they don't make it a fair start. So their their whole role is to ensure that every swimmer gets a fair start, and th that can be quite difficult when you've got. Um, 
kids that are bouncing up and down on the blocks um, or you know, one swimmer's taken off early and you know, it, it's that becomes not a fair start so they have they work with the referee in determining whether that the, the, the swimmer has left before they should have um, and you know that's one of probably the most common st- uh, infraction that you can get is start started before the starting signal uh, and you know the swimmer has to learn that they have to stand still on the blocks until the starter is given the starting signal and and I think that so so why is that um, you know it, it sounds simple but it is actually a lot harder and, and it's quite actually mentally draining as a starter to to work over a long period of time to make sure that you give consistent starts across the the day and everybody gets a fair start. So just briefly then, without going into lots of detail, what are the other typical uh, officiating roles on the pool deck? Okay, so the next the next major roles that you're going to see are the judges' strokes. You know, there's four judges' strokes. Um, they're positioned around the deck, two on each side. And their role is to determine whether the swimmer is swimming in the correct style for the particular stroke that's being swum. So, and they will be watching the turns as well as watching the swimmer swimming um, uh, down the down the pool. Um, they work pretty closely, generally, with the, the referees, but but they also work closely with the inspectors of turns. Now, this is what we're uh, ben was referring to earlier about having a, a inspector of turns standing over the end of the lane, um, watching the swimmer as they come in uh, to turn or to come into the finish or even at the at the start. So typically we would like to have in a 10-lane pool uh, uh, an inspector of turns uh, on each lane at each end of the pool. So there's automatically, if you can do that, that's 20 people uh, um, that are you know watching what the swimmers are doing at the turns and and a lot of the infractions occur at at a turn or at the finish or even at the start so the 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 inspector of turns position is is quite um um important there are also uh, um there are also two other people. So because all those inspector of turns uh, have, you know, they're all doing the same thing, they report to what we call the chief inspector of turns, uh, which is to provide them guidance just be, so that there's just a, a single reporting uh, entity at each end of the pool. So there's a chief inspector of the turns at, at each end of the pool. Mm. Um, then you move around to... Uh, what we call the marshalling area, and this is where the the swimmers come around, uh, check that the race check in for the races that they've um, been um, they're swimming, and they would get ticked off and marshalled according to the, the sheets, and then they get sat, sat down until their race is ready. When their race is ready, they would then get taken over to where the start is, which whether depending on which end of the pool they're at, um, by the check starters. And so there's a, <clears throat> a number of marshals and a number of check starters. And the marshals and check starters work uh, very closely together. There is also one whole other area that a lot of the um, parents and uh, other people attending the, the meet 
don't ever get to see, and that is what we call our control room. Um, and the control room is really a, a little bit like it's the engine room of the the whole the whole meet. So before the meet even gets started, um, there's a the program of the events and the swimmers get put in, seated into races and so on. All of that gets loaded into these days gets loaded into a computer. Once upon a time, it all used to be manual on card systems. Uh, if you talk to some of the older officials, uh, then that's the way they used to do it. And, and people wonder what, what some of the arcane things that happen, but it's purely because of the, the old paper-based systems that used to occur. Now, at least, it is fairly computerized. So that gets loaded into a computer and that tracks the the swimmer's name, um, the, you know, lanes that they're in, the race that they're in, so that when the swimmer swims, um, that when the times are, are collected, and and particularly at places like SOPAC, which has got all the um, uh, the timing equipment there and the scoreboards and those sort of things, that's where all that control occurs. So there are people in there that are managing the the program of the meet there are people in there managing the timing the timing equipment there are the announcers that are that are providing you um, what's going on at, a, at a, an announcer level um, and there's the scoreboard operator and then most importantly at all there's also the recorder so as a race finishes um, those race results are, are kept and then they are passed, even though that is all done electronically, they are then passed to the uh, recorders where a further check is done to make sure that uh, all of the, the swimmers that have, that have entered have got the correct times, uh, the, the race results are right, and then they can get posted. Well, uh, thank you very much indeed for that as a uh, as an overview of uh, many of the officiating positions around the pool deck. Um, I guess one of my personal ulterior motives for sharing this sort of information is to encourage our listener to uh, to consider becoming a an official. And um, I guess if I were a listening to this conversation and perhaps um, even my own view a few years ago was that all of this looks quite complicated i reckon i need to be a bit of an expert around all of this and i certainly don't want to be disqualifying somebody else's kid um could you perhaps give a few comments about you know what why become an official I mean, obviously swimming needs officials but i mean what are what are the personal uh, benefits for, for you as a person i mean what, what do you get out of it peter you know, it's an interesting. People ask me this all the time. You know, why do I do it? I, I have no longer uh, any of my children swimming, and I haven't had them swimming for uh, six or seven years, five, six years, I guess now. Um, and so, so why do I do it? I do it because I enjoy it. I, I, I have an absolute ball. I just, I just love it. I like the, the family atmosphere of the swimming we all get on really well together when we um travel to particularly to the australian uh, um, events and we have to travel in a state and we all share uh, accommodation together it's it's a big bonding exercise and it's like a big family and uh i just love the camaraderie the fact that you get to meet lots of new people 
Um, you know, you make friends in different states, and you know, I've spoken to some of the uh, senior, really senior officials that are on international committees and on the international list, and they get to travel to do world championships, and you know, even um, you know, two years ago, uh, you know, we had a couple of officials from New South Wales go to the Olympic Games. I mean. How wonderful would that be? I mean, that's the the epitome of, of why you want to do it. And you know, they've now made friends from all around the world, and you know, like that's that's the 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 pleasure in it. Um, I think that the the other point that one should make out is, yes, there's an awful lot to know. You don't have to learn it all at once. And in fact, we encourage people not to try and learn it all at once. I think there is a a bit of a um, a misnomer going around that you have to know all of the, everything uh, at once. The 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 way the uh, program development now or the official development is, is structured is that you can learn bits at a time. So you can start off learning timekeeping, and then you can do check starting, and you can do marshalling, and then yeah, you, know, you can just take one step at a time and move through the credentials uh, as you want. It took me six years before I became a referee. Um, and that's probably still running at a fairly fast pace. There's possibly some people have done it faster, but certainly other people have done it a lot longer. So, and I'm guessing uh, people don't need to commit to becoming a referee. I mean, just, just being a timekeeper, it could be, you know, it's perfectly, if that's all you want to do, that's, that's, that's fantastic. It, and it, that's very true. And in fact, there are a lot of people that, um, particularly at state level, that that don't have referee accreditation, so they come along. They've only got check starter or marshal, um, or some people are only starters. Some people just like starting, uh, and that's all that they they want to do. So you can do any and all of that. Uh, depends on what, on what your interests are um, versus. Uh, you know, what what your needs are but you know generally it's because you want to help out and you know, you help out to whatever level you want mm. now i remember for me i had a big hang up about not wanting to disqualify anybody uh which really stopped me doing much for many years um and i'm now over that and i i can talk about that if it's of interest but and what would you say to somebody that that would have a concern about that yeah, some people find that that very difficult, and I think the 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 major thing that you're doing is that you're actually not disqualifying anyone. The swimmer is the one that has disqualified themselves because they've done the something wrong. So that's the best way to look at it. And yes, there are lots of emotions involved, and and uh, you you just have to you be able to to work with that, but. I always look at it. I'm not um, disqual. I'm not dis- being. I'm not disqualifying anyone. They've already. They've. They've disqualified themselves. Is the way that I look at it, and I'm just upholding the rules. Yeah, and I suppose it's also worth saying that um, ultimately it's only the referee that actually makes a disqualification decision. Correct. And um, there's only a few other positions that even notify the referee of potential infractions of making reports. Correct. So. Uh, You'd have to well into your officiating career before <laughs> even bumping into these issues, and you you may not ever come across them. That's that's right, and that's actually a very good point. And in fact, I know 
for a, a number of people, that's the reason why they've never become, say, a judge of stroke or an inspector of turns or a referee, because they didn't want to to do that. Um, and also, they they also found it uh, quite difficult to just follow the the rules. So they they were happy just to be a check starter or a marshal. Uh, or a starter well that was me for many years and when i used to think judging strokes was a black art (laughs) and i um i remember saying that to somebody in swimming new south wales uh it was Faye actually and she looked at me and she said she said yeah i suppose it must look like that but actually the rules have actually very objective and clearly stated and with a bit of training it's (laughs) i've discovered it's not actually that difficult now, this is a fascinating conversation, or at least it probably is for you and I, but uh, we, we're up to 37 minutes, so um, uh, whilst our listener is still you know, on the edge of their seat uh, uh, absorbing all the information, if they do have a modicum uh, level of interest in, in getting more involved on the pool deck in an officiating capacity, how would you encourage people to start? What's a, what's a good sort of toe-in-the-water way into all of this? I think that well, a you should approach uh, um, people that are f- filling those jobs and seeing whether you've got an interest. But if you're interested, I think that you you should look at the first three positions that I would look at: a timekeeper, chief timekeeper, um, marshal, and check starter. They are online um, courses, and I would strongly recommend that you look at the Swimming New South Wales website which has an area set aside for online courses. There's a whole stack of documentation there and talks about the various program development. But go and talk to, to officials that are already doing the, the, the role. Um, you know, and they can, you can do that at club night. You can do that at uh, area or, or, you know, if you uh, even at state level. And, you know, and I know just recently I've had, uh, I've been in the control room and I've had, uh, showing a number of people uh, or parents of swimmers uh, to have a look at, they wanted to see what was what happened in the in the control room and I know swimming New South Wales also does um, uh, walk arounds of the pool of the various positions and and places and shows you what's going on so yeah there's lots of different ways in which you can um, garner more information yeah what i might do is put a link to the um the, tra- the online training site in the show notes so that um yep. when you finished uh, walking the dog or whatever you're doing right now you can uh, you can get a link straight to all of that well peter uh, th- sorry i, you got I can say and, and i i can't stress that i know most of the people now uh, since the online training has come in it's been uh, most people have really liked that because it is something you can do at your pace. And I think that that's, that's really important. That's the best part about it. I think 1,800 people have uh, now taken training online yeah. and completed it successfully. So I think that, that shows how popular it is. Yep. So, Peter, um, what I'd like to do, if I may, is just fill out, finish off this, uh, this, this session with a few f- quick-fire questions. So I'm going to fire some questions at you, and I'll like immediate quick answers, if that's all right. <laughs> I'll try. Fingers on your buzzers, please. As you know, when you officiate at a state-level meet, they have a lucky door prize, which is either a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine. Are you a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine man? Oh, bottle of red wine. Bottle of red wine. Okay, very good. If you had your time again, uh, what, if anything, would you do differently uh, in your officiating career? Uh, I started off, I was going to become a, a starter. That was the only thing I really wanted to do. 
uh, I've now turned out that I really want to be uh, go further with my refereeing. So probably I wouldn't have put as much focus on starting. What's your 50-metre freestyle PB? <laughs> um, I doubt whether I could swim 50 metres freestyle. Very honest. What's the most exciting moment you've had in swimming? Oh, I, I officiated of what it's, it's a couple actually, because I've seen uh, three world records, and that's really exciting. Wow! Particularly when it's happened on your lane. So I had Mitch Larkin uh, do it to me. I've seen Kate Campbell and, I'll, and uh, who was the other one? I think Mitch Larkin got uh, oh, Kate Campbell got a second one. That's right. So uh, yeah, that's that's really exciting. But I had Mitch Larkin. Uh, in 50 metre backstroke I think it was or 100 metre backstroke go to world record and wow that was super exciting well thank you very much indeed to Peter for sharing his time with us today if you're enjoying this podcast then do please give us a five star review on iTunes that's it for this week don't forget next time we'll be talking to Fiona DeSalis about creating a great swim club culture in the meantime do stay dry do stay dry